Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. The next generation, the children of today, how can we make sure that they start out life as healthy as possible and can take care of the rest of us when we get older? Well, Dr. Michael Hamilton is here in the studio to tell us more. He's a pediatrician at Kaiser Permanente and has spent almost three decades helping kids grow up healthy and strong. We'll be talking today about vaccines and well-child visits and what you can do to make sure that you've protected yourself from all the possible infections that are out there and how to make that schedule easier than you thought. As always, you can join us, 941-3689, toll-free from our neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Hamilton, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. 2013 Doctor of the Year or something. Uh, no, Best Docs in Hawaii, I think it was. Something, yeah, yeah. Like you know can hide. No, nope, no. Nope. I looked it up. Yes, you were. So tell us, you know, we're going to be talking a lot today about vaccines. And a lot of people may recall recently the whole outbreak of measles that had to do with parents who were not vaccinating their children. Now, you've had kids. Did they get all their vaccines? My child got all of his vaccines. He's a very right. healthy guy. He's sitting right here, hanging out in the studio with Dad. And I got to say, he looks pretty healthy. So I'll give it to you for that one. Now, you know, a lot of parents get worried about vaccines and safety issues. And what are some of the most common questions that you get asked by parents who bring in their children about vaccinations? What are the most common things they're worried about? Let's do a little myth busting if possible. All righty. The, probably the most common question is, is it, do they, or the concern is, do they, do they have to get all of these shots all at the same time? Isn't it just simply too much for their immune system? So that, that's very, very common. And, um, and, you know, and then, of course, you know, what, what are the side effects is also um, something that parents are concerned about. And, you know, we still, of course, do hear about specific issues with regards to things like does MMR cause autism um, you know do you you know is there any risk for allergic reactions and, and that sort of thing so so lots of questions and uh, we do uh, as pediatricians we do need to spend a lot of time quite often um, talking families through why we do what we do um, and um, what's what's the you know the reasons for doing the immunizations I mean part of the issue is too is that um, we start early, and it's like, well, do I really need to start my child this soon on immunizations? Can we wait a little while? Can we use an alternative schedule? They'll, families will come up with alternative schedules quite often, and, and that, that uh, creates a lot of discussion as well. So let's go through some of those things. The first thing you mentioned was combination shots some of the vaccines that are given. Well, let's talk about what the normal schedule would be. So, you know, in general, there's a lot of vaccinations that kids need. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit, and then we'll get to some of their specific questions about sure. different types of shots. So let's go for like, you know, from zero to six months. What kind of shots are kids expected to get starting at zero, and let's head at six months? And then we'll take another age group after that and, and go beyond that. Okay, so sure. what are the initial shots? You have a new baby. It's time to get vaccinated. Do they get any before they leave the hospital? And what do they get on those first couple of visits? We do. There is one shot we like to have babies get before they even leave the hospital, and that's the hepatitis B. There's uh, reasons for doing that. I, I can remember not too long ago where we started the initial hepatitis B shot at two months of age, but it's preferred at basically before they even go home from the hospital. And there are reasons behind that. The next set of shots then is at the two-month visit. So typically two months, four months, six months is the next time that we'll give children immunizations. 
at the two-month, they'll get another hepatitis B. And then the third and final hepatitis B is at six-month. So they get, a, they get a little bit of a break on that one at the four-month visit. Um, they also then get the DTAP, which is a diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, um, polio, Prevnar, which is the pneumococcal vaccine, and uh, the Haemophilus influenza. And, and those are all at which particular so those, visit? So, those, so they'll get all those at the two-month visit, and then they get the same things again at the four-month and the six-month. With For the four-month, there's the exception of we the wait on the hepatitis, hepatitis sure. B. Correct. Sure, because even adults, you're supposed to get three shots of that series because you want to make sure that you build up enough immunity. Exactly. Sort of yeah. an extra reminder. And, and so that's a lot of shots. I can see some parents saying, oh, my God, all these different vaccines. What should I really do this? But your response to that combination of giving that many shots at such a young, a young age is, is what? Well, I mean, I can understand the parents' concern because it's, you know, who likes to see their young child get all of these needle pokes at the same time? And, and um, there's a couple different discussions that we can oftentimes have. One of them is that the, um, the idea that giving a lot of shots is more stressful to a baby than giving one shot. There's actually some evidence to suggest that they've, where they've looked at cortisol, the stress hormone that you'll sometimes, um, that, that we think of if, if you're being stressed. And they've actually looked at babies who get one shot, what's their cortisol level? Babies getting two shots, what's their cortisol level? And the actual, and the response is actually the same, suggesting that the stress of one shot versus multiple shots is the same. So when parents want to divide them up and spread them out because there's just simply too many shots at one time, that actually, um, I think there's some uh, something to suggest that it might actually create more stress over a period of time. Sure. If each vaccine results, if each visit and vaccine results in a certain amount of cortisol, right. then you could increase that amount over, over time, time by splitting right. them. And then the immune system. I think, I think sometimes we completely underestimate the ability of our immune system to protect us. Well, I'm glad you asked because that was one of the questions I was hoping to be able to answer. There have actually, you know, scientists have calculated how many, how much can a baby actually handle. And what they've done is they look at the B cells, which are the, which are the antibody or the cells that produce antibodies. They know how many are in a, say, a milliliter of blood. They can also then calculate how much blood is in the baby's body. And then they know what the capacity of a particular B cell antibody production is. And they estimate that a baby could actually get 100,000 vaccines all at the same time, and it would not overwhelm the immune system. So, so we're talking incredible. about, sure, less than 10, and the body's capacity yeah. is 100,000. It's, it's amazing. And the other thing that people don't really realize is, and one of the other things that we'll share with families is that, you know, w- people are worried about, well, it's all this stuff stimulating their immune system. Well, when a baby comes into the world, goes through the birth canal, I mean, they're instantly exposed to literally trillions of bacteria. And so their immune system is ready to handle all of this because they have to, because obviously a, a, a baby coming into the world, the womb was sterile. No funguses, no bacteria, no viruses in the womb in a healthy uh, uh, infant. And so as soon as they're born, they're just exposed to lots and lots of bacteria. So they have a very ready immune system, very healthy and capable immune system. So the, immun- the amount of immunizations that we give, it just simply doesn't even come anywhere close to overwhelming them. So don't be afraid of the number of shots. That's correct. Okay. All right. And that even goes true when you're an adult, too. I mean, I think when we start giving adults vaccinations, in my practice, sometimes I'll, I'll split up 
just the shingle shot because it's not 100% effective as it is. But, you know, we'll, we'll give tetanus shots, diphtheria, pertussis, and hepatitis, and, and all these different sorts of travel vaccines all at once with no question about it. And most people are fine with that. So we can be fine with that even with babies as well. Correct. Okay. Yes. So we've gotten up to the six-month shots. We said hepatitis B, and then that's also the uh, tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis, polio, Prevnar, and hemophilus shot. Uh, what about six to 12 months? What's happening then? Six to 12 months, they're actually, there's, um, you know, unless they're behind, there's, there's no shots. There's no immunizations. At, uh, at the 12-month is when we start the next round of immunizations. We do do a nine-month physical. That mainly is doing any catch-up immunizations if they're needed. But then we're also doing other things like looking at um, their development, of course, but checking for anemia, things like that. At the 12-month visit is the next um, set of immunizations. And those are, those are new ones. MMR is usually when that one's um, introduced. We'll also at that time do the, uh, the chickenpox vaccine. Lucky for those kids who can get it. The shot, that is, because I remember getting the pox, and that's not so much fun. And for those kids who get the chicken pox vaccine or varicella vaccine, they won't get shingles. They Um, can't. Yeah. If they've never been exposed to the virus, they're not going to get shingles. So for anybody who has had shingles, you know how much fun that was not. So... Anybody now born? I think when did they start doing that? I think 94, 95, 95 or so. Correct. Yeah. So if you've gotten the chicken pox vaccine, you are protected. You do not have to worry about shingles. Good for you. I think shingles would be one of those things that as as that population gets older, as that generation matures, we won't see it anymore. That'll be sort of like the, the measles of of our generation now where we still see some of it, uh, although hopefully super rare and unfortunately in California quite a few. But um, but certainly, hopefully, in time, we won't even see that. We'll look at pictures of shingles and go, I remember when I once saw that, but I don't see it anymore. Okay, so we start off with those. And what about after 12 months? So the next visit would be... So then the, the one other I, I neglected to mention was the hepatitis A. So the MMR, chicken pox, and hepatitis A are given at 12 months. And then we can do um, the, the next round at 15, somewhere between 15 and 18 months. And what does that round include? That will we'll go back and we'll do um, the DTAP again, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis. We'll also um, boost them again with Prevnar um, and IPV as well. Now, the polio. The polio one. A lot of times we give boosters. We give extra or another shot of something. Mm-hmm. And the reason we do that is because why? Well, there is actually some different reasons for that. Um, is with regards to certain immunizations, the MMR, for example, is a very, very good um, vaccine. And when it's given, uh, somewhere around ninety-eight percent of of babies are given antibodies and protected. There just is that one small percentage of children that aren't protected, and so this is the means that we can try to make sure we get that other one percent that, for whatever reason, they did not convert. They did not build antibodies with the first immunization. Um, and then, and then it is indeed just simply a way to make sure that we're reminding the body that you know that uh, you have been exposed to the hepatitis B vaccine, and here it, you know it just will boost the the antibody response. Really, when when if a baby is born to a mom who has hepatitis B, even though that shot is not given till like the two, even if it was given at the two week mark, but certainly even several hours, several hours to a couple of days after the exposure, that 80% of those babies will still be protected after one immunization. So again, kind of speaks to the power of doing it, but we want to make sure they're protected. So this is the reasons for the, the follow-up boosters. 
Now, I'm curious, why don't they give the hep A and hep B together? In adults, we do. We call it twin rigs. I'm just wondering, is there a reason why... Is the gastrointestinal system not not set up enough to develop that immunity? I mean, I don't I don't know that it it may be, be partly that I don't know the science be, behind that. I do know that you know we really don't worry quite as much about hepatitis A in a in a newborn as opposed to hepatitis B. The problem with hepatitis B, if you get it exposed and get it as an infant, the, the odds are just way high that in a young adulthood you're going to end up with cirrhosis of the liver, liver cancer, and so that's a big reason why we want to make sure we get that hepatitis B vaccine in early, if, if not the big reason. I mean, it really is a cancer prevention shot. Hepatitis A, more likely you're going to be exposed, um, you know, once you can put your hands in your mouth as a young toddler. Sure. So I guess yeah. medically, you don't need to get hep A early on, whereas I think of it as convenience. Hey, they put two in one. Yeah. You know, there are enough two in one shots for kids. We don't have to add another one. Right. Okay. All right. So we've gotten people up to about 18 months. What do we do after that? So the next visit is at 24 months, and again, that's oftentimes a catch-up. Somewhere between 18 and four months, uh, 18 and 24 months, will do the booster hepatitis A. So kids need two hepatitis A immunizations, typically 12 months and 18 months. Sometimes we do need to do some catch-up at the 24 months. So, and um, and then that's you know that's that's that for beyond two years. And the nice part is, I don't remember being two or younger. So I got all these shots when I was younger. I don't remember them. I certainly don't remember either. Scarred for life. I still went into medicine. Uh, (laughs) Didn't get so scared of the doctor that I never wanted to show up, Um, although I am one, so that would be kind of funny. But, uh, okay, so then after that 24-month period, a lot of the vaccines are good. There's still a couple more that you do. Mm -hmm. Um, What are those that you do a couple more boosters of before somebody gets older. Yeah, so somewhere between three and five, we'll do uh, the chickenpox booster and the MMR again. So then they're done with those for good. And then they also will get a IPV polio booster as well as a a DTaP booster. And um, yeah, I think that's it. Somewhere beyond five or up to age five, then you're you're covered. So, and that's when a lot of kids are starting to go to school. So they need to have all their immunizations together at that time. Now, and we haven't touched on flu, which is, you know, which sure. we can start that as early as six months. And then typically that first year, children will get two flu shots. And then beyond that, unless there's something unusual occurs, then they'll get one a year, just like we're all supposed to do. Okay. Well, now in this kind of situation, when you say play catch up, how often do you see kids who you have to catch up on? I mean, I would think it would probably be a fair percentage. It really is. I mean, I don't. I don't know what that percentage would be, but it's um, it's amazing. You know how often we do need to do some catch up, and there's certainly all kinds of reasons. Again, some people choose alternative vaccine schedules, but sometimes it's just families can't get in, or there is some timing that goes into when these immunizations can be given. And so, if they tend to, if they get their physical, even a, one or two days early, we have to say you're, it's the timing isn't right yet. You got to come back. So we say come back in a week. They may not come back in a week. They may not come back until six months later when it's their next next scheduled uh, physical. So, so in that case, the preference would be not to give it early, but to give it later. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Why couldn't you give it early? I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, um, to be honest, I think it. I mean, that's just what the the rules are. You okay. know, I think you know, immunologically, it probably would be just fine. But it really has to do with school and. And, you know, when they get to school, they're going to scrutinize and look at those uh, immunization records and make sure that it wasn't given too early and that sort of thing. So 
Um, I think, yeah, I think it would not matter that much if you were a little bit early, but just the rules. Now, when you talk about kids going to school here in Hawaii in order to enroll in school, do you have to have completed all your vaccinations? It's Well, the answer is yes and no. The, yes, from the standpoint, that's what we want and that's what is recommended. But certainly people can call, you know, can ask for exemptions. And, and um, in the state of Hawaii, they, they do offer those exemptions. On religious grounds, on medical grounds, on any of the above? I think all of the above. I know that when I looked up the MMR shot, the measles, mumps, rubella shot, we really didn't have that many kids who had religious exemptions. But there were still a fair number. There are pockets in various neighbor islands and even on Oahu of people who just don't want to get vaccinated. And sometimes they declare herd immunity good enough. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the case, as we saw in the past year or so. Correct. What is the concept of herd immunity, and why might it just not work? So herd immunity is where enough individuals in a community and a population are vaccinated, immunized, therefore protected, so that if there is a small group of people within that population, they're going to protect, be protected because everybody else around them is protected. And in a lot, of, a lot of instances, that needs to be close to 95% immunization. Yeah, measles, rate. 95, 98%, right. right, yeah. And so um, so if there are a few individuals who can't get the MMR, and there are and there are some medical reasons why, then they, if we have enough people immunized, then they're protected. Problem is with these outbreaks that we're seeing, there's certainly just simp- there's been enough people who have become, who have decided not to get immunized, and therefore the herd immunity breaks down. And then we're at much more risk for problems as we've seen. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Michael Hamilton. He is a pediatrician at Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking today about the vaccine course for kids. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about where HPV vaccine fits into all of this. And for the older kids going away to college, meningococcal vaccine. When does that become something that we have to take a look at? When do you need to get your tetanus updates? And how important is it to keep that record? Because, boy, I can just remember scrambling, trying to find the one my mother had handwritten all those years ago. And these days, luckily, with electronic medical records, we've got a good handle on it. But what do you do if you can't find your record? And how can we test to see if you really do have immunity to these things? We'll be right back after this quick break. As always, you can join us, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. What's it like to sightsee from the space station? It's magnificent, and it it makes me laugh and smile every time what the world shows me. Why is the best part of travel coming home? We travel, and in some ways we collect sights, but it's only when we're sitting still that we turn those into insights. And how do you develop a taste for adventure? When I was a child, my mother never said, take care. Find out on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m., following Fresh Air. From the moment you wake up, through the chaos of your busy morning, Morning Edition is there with you. Good morning. I'm Steve Inskeep. Protesters have been Through all you have to do, we'll bring you all you need to know every weekday on Morning Edition from NPR News. Weekday mornings from 5 to 8.30 on HPR One. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. 
Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Michael Hamilton from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking today about immunizations. There's this complicated schedule, or so we thought, and Dr. Hamilton just broke it down to some pretty good basics about what people need and when they need to get it. Let's talk a few moments about some older kids. Let's talk about the kids who are now of the age where we've got to talk about HPV. This is a vaccine came out after, you know, I did training and stuff. And certainly it's a way, it's another one of those cancer prevention vaccines. We talked about hepatitis B fitting into that category. And we now know that HPV is associated with cervical cancer and other types of cancer. So now we have a cancer protection shot. But it's been a little controversial. So who gets the HPV shot? When do they get it? And what do you hear about parents who don't want to do it? Well, um, first let me so say... who gets it? Yeah, okay. Who gets it? Okay, well, boys and girls get it. It's not just uh, cervical cancer. Um, the uh, the age that we typically start, you could start as early as 9. Um, in my clinic, we, we tend to start at 11. Um, but it is recommended for all young preteen uh, kids as they enter into middle school and certainly beyond that. So it, it is available to individuals, I, like I said, I believe, I believe between the age of 9 and 26 years of age. Um, so boys and girls can get boys it. Boys and girls should get it's it. It's more than one vaccine. It is. It's, you get boosters, kind of like we it, talked exactly. about some of the other ones. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so there's three immunizations total um, and kind of a very similar structure to like the hepatitis B. You, you know, you get one. Now you get another one in two months and then a final one in six months of age, or I mean, excuse me, six months beyond. And the key is, you know, get the protection before you're exposed. That That is the key. That's exactly right. It's, um, you know, I, I have had parents or individuals say, well, you know, it's I'm concerned it's going to promote my child having sex early. And um, there's really been no evidence to, to support that. The whole idea is that once there's an exposure, it's it's basically too late. So the idea is you've got to get them before they they simply have gotten to that point in their lives. Okay. And any parents who who have chosen not to, I mean, are there any reasons that you hear about that come to mind about why people would not want to get that? Other than you mentioned, it might promote promiscuity, although science has said, nah, yeah, correct. Um, that really doesn't happen. It's not seen clinically, but any other reasons why parents would be reluctant? Um, I think that's the main reason. The other will be, well, it's not been around long enough yet, so I'm just a little bit leery of it being effective, or maybe there's some long-term side effects. So so that's another, that's another common reason to wait. Or simply people say, my, my child, this isn't going to happen, so I'm, I can just wait and I'm comfortable waiting. Okay. Uh, and the other one, meningococcal vaccination. That's one that, you know, we hear about these cases. And you've said you've seen two cases of meningococcal. I've seen, I've seen a handful okay. um, in my 20-some-odd years. And, and you don't want any more. I never want to see another yeah. one, right? And so I, I actually, we were talking about this a few minutes, a few minutes ago. I, When the Menactor came out, I took my son right down to the clinic where I work and he got the shot because you know I just uh, you see one or two cases like that you never want to see another one so anything to protect against that illness it's rare we don't see it very often but when you see it you won't ever forget as a as a physician so um so I think it's a wonderful vaccine the opportunity to protect something that, that can be so devastating and so deadly um, there, there's actually, you get a booster. You, the, the initial one is between 11 and 13. That's when we do it in our clinic. And then we like to give a second one, the booster, around 16 years of age. We really want to get the, the, 
the teens before they head off to college. Because that's where they're more likely to get it? I think there's a little bit of an increase, increase in um, uh, getting it at that point during the college years. And I believe also the morbidity and or the mortality are worse at that point in time. Well, and when you've seen a case, I mean, this can be devastating if you don't catch it early enough. And it's very hard to. It is Again, hard. it's one of those rare infections that we don't see a lot. No, we so don't, we don't stuff see we lot. don't see, we often can identify that quickly. And, then, and, and the complications. It'll start, off, it'll start off looking like the flu. Sure. And then, you know, 18 hours later, I say, oh, this isn't the flu. You start getting that purple rash and, you know, as a doctor, you know where You know where you're headed trouble. and that's yeah. nowhere good. Yeah. All right. We've got a couple of callers on the line. We've got Cindy on the line from Kauai. Cindy, welcome to The Body Show. Aloha. Aloha. What can we do for you today? Well, quick question. Um, I am an advocate for immunization support. I immunized three of my children. And um, even as teenagers, they all have the HPV vaccine as well. But my, my um, question today is, you know, the benefits far outweigh any risk to having your infants immunized, but but what are those risks? I mean, I've heard where normal infants go in for the routine immunizations and they have devastating, uh, you know, reactions and lifelong issues. And um, do we know what that percentage is and what, you know, what that risk is compared to the benefits? Good question, Cindy. You asked the right guy. Yeah, thank you. That is a good question. Um, there... Uh, you know, let me let me take a step back real quick, and I mean, you bring up a very good point in in looking at the concept of of safety, which really is risk versus benefit, and and by far and away the biggest risk for a child getting any of the immunizations these days is the the drive from the home to the doctor's office. That car ride really <laughs> is really the the biggest risk that that you're going to face. I mean, you think about how many car accidents there are per year. And then the number of severe reactions that we see with these immunizations is really, really very low. One of the more common reactions that we're likely to see is an, is an allergic reaction. There are components in vaccines that, that can cause an allergic reaction. Gelatin would probably be the most likely to be identified. Um, and on, on average, we see about 200 of those per year across the United States. You know, and I think about how many immunizations we give in my clinic alone on a yearly basis, and I have no idea what that number is, but it's, I'm sure, incredible. So, so even, I, I, to me, it seems like even in our clinic, 200, the, the, the benefit would far outweigh the risk. But this 200 is something that occurs across the entire uh, United States. So, so 200 um, per year is, is pretty low risk, and that's for considered to be a severe reaction. And, and really, one of the ways that we try to combat that or 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 be ready for it is we do ask that parents stick around with their child for maybe 15 minutes or so after their immunization is given because if they're going to have a significant allergic reaction it's going to happen right away the the other things that seem to come up really i it just there I, I did some research recently in preparation for this show and i just could not find anything that um you know that uh that suggested any kind of severe, severe problem with the immunizations that we give. I mean, the, the technology that we have available today, these, these immunizations are so pure relative to what they were, say, like when they first started giving the chickenpox, vac- uh, excuse me, the uh, smallpox vaccine 100 years ago, the, the, the amount of 
immunological components or uh, which are oftentimes proteins is I think in the chicken excuse me in the smallpox vaccine was like 200 when you look at the entire set of immunizations that a child gets between age one or excuse me you know birth and five years of age it's about 160 proteins that are exposed so there's just simply so they're so much better nowadays than they were in days of old, and um, you know, it, it just we just don't see the, the severe reactions again, with the exception of sometimes an allergic reaction. All right, Cindy. So it's pretty darn rare that anybody would have a risk related to the vaccination, and that risk, generally, scientifically, you don't see a lot of those longer term situations where people are harmed indefinitely. And I think Correct. there's something I just want to just cover right now. MMR shots are not associated with autism. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Okay, because that's one of the things that people worry about, lifelong effects, et cetera. And, you know, unfortunately, Andrew Wakefield, a few years back, and in, I think it was The Lancet, yeah. right, 98, yeah. he admitted later that he had, he had made up some of the data. Correct. And it wasn't true. And yet, as a result of that data, a lot of children were not vaccinated yes. because parents were concerned. And yet... If we saw less children being vaccinated, we really didn't see less cases of autism. In fact, the numbers diagnosed seem to be greater with right. less vaccination. So right. clearly there's no scientific association between the two. It's never been proven. Yes, there's people out there who promote it, but they're not scientists. And they may be in Hollywood and actresses, but uh, <laughs> that's not necessarily where we should get our medical information. Jenny McCarthy, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, think, but, I mean, I think that's that's a key point that, you know, it, that the anecdotal things that are out there really need to be looked at very carefully. And that's what that's what scientists, of course, do, people who are interested in, in recognizing whether or not it's a real a real concern. I mean, I, you know, you brought up Andrew Wakefield. I, you know, when you look at his research, the, it, you're right, it was doctored and it was, it was basically falsified. It was falsified. doctored by the doctor. Doctored yeah. by the doctor, right. And the other thing, it was not a very good research study. There was really, it really looked at eight children for that entire study. Since that time, there has been 12 epidemiologic studies across numerous continents, basically across the entire world, looking at literally thousands of children, thousands, and there just simply is no relationship, cause and effect relationship between MMR and, and autism. One of, the, one of the problems that comes up quite often is, is that the, the, um, when one of these announcements is made, then the firestorm sort of starts with regards to the, the word spreading and people start getting panicky and, and concerned. And yet scientists take it very seriously, but they're going to be cautious to make an, a statement because like the theory behind what Wakefield was looking at was actually a reasonable theory based on some of the, some of the, um, the chemistry, but it just did not pan out. And, but it does take a little bit of time for the researchers, the scientists, to say, no, this isn't, there is no association. And so we can't instantly turn around and go, you know, he, 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 didn't, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, it has to, the research has to be looked at. And then once we know for sure, we can come back and say, mm, there is absolutely no association. Well, and, and scientists were pretty clear. Researchers determined that, and, and there really shouldn't be any more mistaking that any Correct. further. We just absolutely. shouldn't hear those two associated together. That's very true. All right. We have another caller on the line. We have Anne from Ka'alu. Anne, welcome to The Body Show. Yes, hi. Hi there. What can we do for you today? Um, I just wanted to, I know we're primarily addressing childhood immun, um, immunizations, but, you know, a lot of the times when an outbreak occurs, people are always, you know, quick to blame. 
but I wanted to see if you could address the point of adults making sure that they're up to date on their boosters, especially those of us that are older, you know, with the measles, when they've changed from one shot to two, or maybe we never got chicken pox, you know, that kind of issue. And I'll take my comments off the line. All right, Anne, I'll take care of that one because Dr. Hamilton is an expert in pediatrics. And right before we were starting the show, I said, listen, if we get a call about adults, I'm going to take this one for you. So so here's the deal, Ann. You brought up a really good point. How do adults make sure that they're immunized? And one of the things they can do, and particularly I had quite a few people when the measles outbreak occurred, ask me, how do I know I got my shots? I don't have my records. There are some blood tests you can do. Now, they may not be 100% accurate, but if you show immunity to something like measles, then you are immune. So, you know, having blood testing done, talking with your doctor, that can always help. You're absolutely right. A lot of times we don't realize when was our last tetanus shot. And the CDC put out a recommendation a couple of years back that said, you know, whooping call for pertussis is making a comeback. And it's actually coming back in the adults and grandparents who are exposing grandchildren to it. Because as adults, we can all actually get sick with whooping cough. And we may not have the same features as young children do. And so I could get it. I could recover. And I don't realize that's what it is. And yet here comes some child and I've given it to them. And if they don't have the immunity, they get that traditional whooping cough, which sounds like a whoop when they cough. It's pretty characteristic when you've heard it. And I got to say, I'm, I'm bad at making those sound effects. So you can find it online. They can do a better job there. But that being said, you know, any anybody who has a new baby in the family, everybody should say, you know what, let's make sure we're updated with our vaccines. Anybody who's traveling, it's another opportunity to really think about this. As adults, we should all get a booster in polio because there are parts of the world where there's still polio, unfortunately. And if you haven't had a booster since you were like five or so, it's time to get one. Um, a lot of these vaccinations are covered by insurance, even if you're traveling or particularly if you want to make sure that you're immune. Um, these are things that you want to look at. Adults, all of us, you know, we talk about kids being the source of infection, but we spread it as well. And so it's another reason why people need to be excited about it. Another thing that came out recently, and we've talked about it a couple of times for kids, is Prevnar. Now, Prevnar is a shot that we're now giving to adults, and we're giving it to them because the original pneumococcal vaccination, or Pneumovax, um, had certain antigens in it or certain proteins, but not enough. So we actually give another shot to adults, an adult dose of something similar to what kids get now, to provide extra immunity. The other thing we get, because, you know, we're all old enough that we missed out on that chicken pox shot, is that people get Zostavax, which is something that helps protect against shingles. And anybody out there who's had shingles, trust me, you're going to be happy if you get protected and nobody else around you ever has to get that. So, you know, there are quite a few shots that adults can update and take care of. You're absolutely right. Sometimes as soon as there's an outbreak, we all blame the kids. And yet it's interesting because when the measles thing came out, I had quite a few adults who came in and said, you know, it looks like I only got one measles shot and we tested their immunity. They weren't. They had to get boosters and they never would have thought about it unless there was some reason in the media or some reason in their family to be concerned. So all adults, next time you see your doctor say, hey, can you take a look, look at my immunizations, make sure I'm up to date. We do this naturally in the pediatrics world because there's so many vaccinations. But often adults, we don't think about it as much. And, you know, your doctor would be more than happy to give you whatever shots you, that, that are needed and, and get you up to date as well. So, you know, excellent question, Anne. You're right. Don't just blame the kids, man. Adults are also responsible, too. So, so that's, that's about all I have to say. Get your shots and, uh, and come into your doctor's office and do it. 
if you if you get them now as an adult, you've already had these as a child. So you're certainly not going to have any significant reaction or anything like that. But, you know, just do it. It's a great idea. Protect yourself. Protect your kids. Protect your friends' kids. Protect your future grandchildren. All of the above. Definitely a good reason to do it. And, you know, we're finding that the, the teens are also oftentimes a, a, a reservoir of pertussis. And they can turn around and give it to their little cousin, little Sure, and sibling, not even realize right? it, right. Realize it. So we, we're really adamant about the teens in addition to the HPV that we've been talking about and the Menactor. We also like to see them get their, um, their booster, their, their whooping cough booster, pertussis booster. So that's done around that 11 to 13 age range as well. And that may be the last time that they received a tetanus shot. I'll often see kids going away to college, and they'll be like 18, 19, 20. They have to go ahead. They're going to graduate school, nursing school, college, and whatnot, and they have to prove immunity. And they go, I don't know when my last tetanus shot was. And turns out they were 12. So 22, you should get another one every 10 years. Particularly, it's so nice to live here in Hawaii. We get to be outdoors a lot. But, you know, it's rusty metal. It's exposure to stuff outside that Mm -hmm. can get you in trouble with tetanus. I'm curious, have you seen a case of tetanus in the U.S.? Because I have, but not in the U.S. No, as a matter of fact, I don't think I have. I think because we've done a really good job of immunity, and particularly starting when you're young. All right, but great question, Anne. I appreciate that. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Michael Hamilton from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about immunizations, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the concerns that parents may have about their children getting vaccines and what we can do to sort of explain some of the rationale behind it and make people feel better about being protected. Because that's really what it's about, making sure that we're all protected against spreading things that could be prevented to other people who who don't want to get sick with whatever we may have gotten. So if you have any questions, thoughts about it, if you've had concerns about immunizations and you've realized this is a good idea, or even if you're still on the on the Fence on that one, you can join us at 941-3689. Toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Thursday will mark the 150th anniversary of the Appomattox surrender that brought the nation's bloodiest conflict to a close. Hawaiians fought on both sides in the Civil War, and bells will sound at a downtown cathedral to mark that anniversary. We'll talk with HPU historian Justin Vance tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Aloha, this is Gene Schiller. Have you ever heard on HPR's classical music stream a composer you've never met who spoke to you? A singer from across the waters who brought tears to your eyes? a musical prodigy who made time stand still. These are the kind of experiences you won't find on any other radio station in the islands, and it's all made possible by listeners like you. Please consider sustaining these kind of magical moments. A little more than 30 cents a day will keep the music and the magic coming. It's your call. Mahalo. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Michael Hamilton from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking today about vaccinations, exploring all the different types of vaccines, why you get them, what do all those initials stand for, what does it mean, and why we should be protected. 
If you've got a question, now's your chance to ask. 941-3689, toll free. Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Before the break, we were talking about adults and vaccines. And, you know, there's a couple that I think people may not realize that kids still get. And one of the ones you mentioned that came out right sort of when you finished training was the Haemophilus vaccination. And tell me, what does that protect against and what sort of infections were you seeing then that you're not seeing now? Sure. Well, when I was uh, in training, the, um, well, the, the HIB vaccine stands for Haemophilus influenza type B, certain kind of bacteria that can be very devastating for anybody um, who maybe doesn't have a very strong immune system, infants, young children, that sort of thing. Um, when I was in training, we had not started giving that vaccine yet across the country. And I used to see lots of very, very sick kids from this particular type of bacteria. That would include meningitis. That would include an illness uh, called epiglottitis, where basically the voice box or the airway just would, would swell completely shut. And if it wasn't gotten to or dealt with right away, the, the child would basically not be able to breathe. So, um, and, and really I used to see quite a bit. I did work in a big children's hospital during my training years. Right when I entered into private practice, that was when we started utilizing the, the Hib vaccine, the Haemophilus influenza type B. And I just don't see it now. I just simply do not see those kind of infections anymore. You know, to the point where as I, um, you know, I've been in practice now for some 20, 23, 25 years kind of thing. And I even worry a little bit that the young physicians who are who are very well trained and very good, very smart, but they haven't seen these things. And um you know, will they recognize it if it is around? Um, but I do think it's a testament to how well that particular vaccine has worked. Well, you're right. And I think that whole question that comes up, will you be able to identify it? Was that was happening with the measles because a lot of Correct. a lot of doctors in practice never saw measles. Correct. Because they just <clears throat> it was already almost eradicated prior to in fact, it was declared eradicated prior to having the outbreak. And there's a couple of infections like that. I mean, I know currently in California, there's a polio-like enterovirus. They still haven't yet really finalized what's going on there. But it's a virus, and they just haven't seen anything like it in decades. And it's sort of a paralytic virus, and it causes paralysis like polio, but it's not necessarily polio. And it's one of those things where doctors have a hard time seeing stuff that you don't see, don't see on a regular basis. Absolutely. All right, we've got a caller on the line. We've got Don from Eva Beach. Don, welcome to the Body Show. Hey, how's it going? Fabulous. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You should have your show more often. It's so informative. Well, once a week is about all I can manage, but thank you very much, Don. What can we do for you? Okay, I'm going to be a grandpa in August. Congrats. Congratulations. And, um, I was at the pharmacist the other day, and I, I spread the good news, and then the pharmacist told me to make sure that um, we get a T, is it T-DAP? You got it. Tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. Big yeah. time, done. Okay. So what is that? Um, she didn't have time to really explain it to me. And then do we get it from our doctor or from the um, my daughter's doctor? Well, I'll take care of part of that, and then I'm going to let Dr. Hamilton take care of the rest. You should be able to get that Tdap, tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis, from your doctor because they will have it in the office. They'll be able to give you that immunization. Some of the pharmacies actually carry it now. Sometimes the Walgreens and some of those pharmacies carry immunizations. But definitely important because you're going to be a granddad, and you do not want to be spreading pertussis, otherwise known as whooping cough, to your uh -huh. new grandchild. So that's why you want to get it. 
Dr. Hamilton, let's tell them a little bit more about Maybe you can make the sound, the whooping sound. No, I've never been good at sound effects. Okay. All right. Google it because I I don't think I can make the whoop very well. But why would this, Don's going to be a grandparent. Why should he worry? Well, I mean, I'm I'm glad you bring this up because this is something that we are talking with our parents or grandparents, whatever the case may be, when we see these new babies in our clinic or even in the hospital because the the baby will not get the DTAP until two months of age. Now, there is a little bit of addition. Tdap and Dtap are basically very, the same immunization. It's just the amount of the, the diphtheria, the amount of tetanus there. So there's variations based on whether you're an adult or at a certain age versus a, um, a, a young child. So the, the baby will not get uh, his or her Tdap or Dtap until two months of age. And so that's the protection that's from whooping prote- cough. Right, correct. Yeah, okay. yeah, the P stands for pertussis, which is the whooping cough. That one can really be hard on babies, very devastating. So, again, the idea of getting the parents immunized or making sure their immunizations are up to date, grandparents as well, or whoever's going to care for that baby is just a very wise move. So that's fantastic. All right, Don, that pharmacist led you in the right direction. You can go to your own primary care provider's office, get your shot, and then you will be protected, and so will your new grandbaby. Congratulations. Right. Is there any other shots that we should be looking for, being that we're having um, you know, a new baby come into the household? The well, flu, maybe. Flu shot, if you haven't gotten one, hopefully this coming year we'll get a really good one. Yeah. This year we were kind of off a little bit, so flu shot. And if you're of age, meaning if you're over 65 or if you have some kind of respiratory illness, then you may want to consider getting a pneumonia vaccination. Um, uh-huh. We also consider that that Prevnar shot we were talking about earlier is to protect against pneumonia. So it's currently recommended for anybody with the history of lung illness, anybody with diabetes, um, and anybody over 65. So that's another type of immunization that you can get to protect uh, your new grandchild. So make sure you get that tetanus diphtheria pertussis. And if you have any history of those other problems, talk to your doctor about getting protection against pneumonia. And when the flu shot comes out, you go be first in line, Don. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, you got it. Good work there, buddy. Congratulations. If I can make a comment about the Prevnar, the pneumonia, that for infants or for young children, that can not only cause a pneumonia, but, I mean, it can be a, cause meningitis or just simply a sepsis and infection in the blood, again, can be very devastating. Another one of those illnesses that I used to see on somewhat of a regular basis, I just don't, we just don't see it that much anymore. Good. Love the fact that we're eradicating illness and keeping everybody healthy. Okay. We've got Adam on the line from the Big Island. Adam, welcome to the Body Show. Aloha. Aloha. Hi there. I'm a a new father. I've got a a couple months old baby boy. Congratulations. Um, Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of mixed things about uh, some of the safety aspects of vaccines. Um, one interesting statistic that I've seen or heard was that more people have actually died from getting the measles vaccine in the past 12 years than have died from the actual measles disease in the United States, uh, as well as not only a link between autism. I know that's not scientifically proven, but I have seen statistics and studies that have shown there is a link between other things like allergies um, and uh, other adverse effects on a child's health uh, in the long term um, that they're more likely to get ADHD, three times more likely to get allergies and other uh, health effects. Can you please comment on that? 
Great questions, Adam. I think this will be a great chance for Dr. Hamilton to take a look at some of the research. You know, one of the things that that I would caution everybody about is when you hear about certain associations with things, as you would with anything, you know, you want to do some of your own research and make sure you're going to some reputable sites. I mean, not everything you read on the Internet is true. Not everything you see on the news is accurate. And you really want to look at some of the scientific sites. So I would just suggest, before I even let Dr. Hamilton uh, say much, is is go to places like Mayo Clinic or John I, I Hopkins. I've looked at things as well as the VA ERS, which is the Vaccine Adverse uh, reporting system where there's been thousands and thousands of reports of adverse effects from vaccines uh, where you're not actually allowed to sue the pharmaceutical companies or no one's held liable and you have to file a complaint with the government and many families are given compensation because their children or themselves were wounded or harmed by the vaccine. So it's just Well, I'm going to put Dr. Hamilton in the hot seat and say, you know what, this is your area of expertise Adam's worried. He's a new dad. He's hearing stuff. He's seen vaccine adverse effect reports. What would you tell him? He's sitting here in front of you. What would you tell him? Well, Adam, I, I think you're. <clears throat> um, first of all, I want to say I, you know, I think it is wonderful that you are trying to learn everything you can with regards to your, to your, um, to your newborn, to your children, and as. Um, as was already stated, I, I would encourage you to you know make sure you're looking at websites that are um, considered to be sound scientific information. I would also encourage you to talk with your pediatrician about those those kind of concerns that you have because I think that discussion is an important one to have. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the VARES form, the Vaccine Adverse Events um, Recording System, because that is a form that's available to anybody and everybody. I, parents can go and pull it up. Online, it's a one-page form to fill out. You can get it from your doctor's office, and it's really a wonderful system that was put into place to to gather information, and that's what it's doing. It's gathering information. So, if you if your child gets an immunization and they sneeze three or four times in that particular day, you can fill out a form. You can say, you know, I noticed that after my child got an immunization, they're sneezing a lot, and and all of that information, no matter what the association is, all of that information is put together and then scrutinized and looked at by scientists who, who specialize in this area um, at, the, at the CDC. They will then take that information. If they see any kind of pattern, it gets investigated on a much deeper level. So, um, and, and so those, so you can pretty much report any kind of an association, and it's, like I said, it's looked at. If there's a concern, like I said, it's going to be scrutinized um, the the problem the problem is is that you know there's the the associations that are oftentimes being reported whether it's by a physician or by families just simply isn't panning out is not we're not seeing a cause and effect relationship and so so it it's a wonderful system it it has its place but it's it is just information that is then taken where we and then we look at it more scientifically to see if indeed there's um, a, a serious relationship, right? And I and I believe that over the past twelve years, according to a study that I looked at, there's been over a hundred deaths from the measles vaccination and zero deaths in the United States from the actual measles disease because our health system has gotten so much better to treat the the illness. So I'm I'm thinking, what's the greater risk? Giving them the vaccine and having a chance they could die from the vaccine, or letting them contract measles if by chance that happens and then treating them 
and um, just building their immune system naturally. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of different information out there, and I don't necessarily trust the mainstream um, news or the government information. So I'm just uh, putting a warning out there to everyone who's listening that uh, look into it for yourselves and, and do the independent research. Well, I would agree with you. you. You do. I think parents do need to look into it themselves and make sure that they're comfortable. Again, having the discussion with their pediatrician is important. I'm not familiar with the with the deaths that are related to that, so I would have to, um, I, you know, I, I would have to look into that some more. Adam, do you happen to have any any um, references for what you're talking about as far as the deaths with the measles versus the vaccination? Um, I saw it on uh, several websites articles that link the information from the, the government VAER system. So um, I don't have the, off the top of my head a link to you, but um, you can Google search it and I'm sure a, b- a bunch of articles will pop up. So just wanted to let everyone know that I've got to run. Um, thank you for your time. All right. Well, thanks for calling us, Adam, because I don't think you're alone with some of the uh, some of the concerns that you have. But I also think that because we were doing such a good job at treating, um, actually at vaccinating kids against measles, we weren't seeing very many cases at all. And then with this most recent outbreak, there were some concerns about children getting measles, which can cause a variety of different symptoms, including encephalitis, one in a thousand children who get measles can have serious permanent brain damage, can actually die from it. There was a child in Germany that had died from measles because there was a huge pocket of folks that had not been immunized, and this child died from measles. So when we talk about potentially getting a preventable disease and having an adverse effect, I guess I don't necessarily see the the way that we could say, okay, if if multiple millions, let's just say 10 million measles, mumps, rubella vaccines are provided and your risk of actually getting a problem from that vaccine is so small versus one in a thousand risk of permanent brain damage and death from getting measles. You know, that's a statistical comparison that still is in the side of getting vaccinated. And again, you brought up some really good points and and I would say get your references and Print those out and share those with your with your child's doctor so that they can kind of see where you're getting the information from, because there may be other sources that contradict that and could be really educational for both of you to look at. Dr. Hamilton, I'm curious, parents come in all the time and and get concerned about things. What sources do you suggest? I mean, I listed some of the ones I suggest, Mayo Clinic and Hopkins and Massachusetts General. Um, I usually tell adults to go to those places to find some medical information that is not based on anyone else providing any kind of payment to write certain things. I mean, I trained at Mayo, so I know some of the folks who write that stuff. And it's actually really good and easy to understand. What are some simple references that parents can go to to look up stuff for their kids? There's several that I have in mind. One of them would be the American Academy of Pediatrics website. That would be a great place to get a lot of information. They actually have a website called healthychildren.org. So, again, that's healthychildren.org, and that's some great information that's geared towards families, and, and you can uh, you know search that site for pretty much any information that you would be interested in with regards to children. Another one that that I use quite a bit is the uh, website, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So it's chop.edu, um, and um, they they have a big children's immunization center there where they do lots of research, gather a lot of this information. So it's some very good information there as well. 
All right. So any one of those references, things, places that you could go to to get some really good information. And, you know, I'm always skeptical when I go to a website that tries to sell something at the same time as giving you information. So these are some of those sites that really are just out there to provide information. And it's written by nation's experts. and, And those are the people who are out there suggesting that we what we can do to keep everybody healthy. Okay. Other concerns that parents share with you often. We have a couple more minutes. What other concerns that we haven't yet talked about relate to immunizations that you might have heard about from some of the parents that that take care of children that you see? I mean, polio seems like everybody's kind of on board. Let's get the polio vaccine. There have been outbreaks that people need to be concerned about in various countries, places that a lot of times we travel to, Philippines, China. They've had outbreaks of both polio and of um, problems with measles in the past couple of years. So when you see parents who are traveling with their children, do they have to take special precautions if yeah. they're going internationally? Yeah, absolutely. If they're, if they're going uh, to various parts of the world, they, they, there are certain immunizations that they're going to need. Many of them we, we do um, give, like the hepatitis A was a great one to get before you're going to travel overseas. And again, that's at 12 months, and ideally at 12 months and then 18 months. Um, there are other ones, and, and oftentimes what I'll recommend to families is to either go online and look at uh, you know, the travel information, again, through the CDC, or a lot of the uh, healthcare organizations will have uh, travel medicine departments where you can kind of get some up-to-date information because it's, it's constantly changing, of course, and, and so I don't, I don't necessarily keep up on what families need to be worried about. So, but that information is important and would encourage families to, to look into that if they're to wherever they're going to particularly travel to. Sure, cdc.gov. Actually, if you go to the Traveler's Health section, they have some really good information on what you might need for parents, for for children, if you're going to stay there for a short term or a long term, and what kind of outbreaks are going on in different areas. So there's certainly good information. So it sounds like, you know, for the majority of the parents that you see, they're on board, let's give immunizations, protect the kids. We hear a lot from a vocal minority, but maybe Correct. they're not the majority. Yeah, I'm. I would say roughly ninety percent of parents will have their children immunized. There's ten percent in that range that just either refuse altogether or are asking for an alternative vaccine schedule, and you know, and that creates its own set of concerns because really all of the science, all the research is based on the set schedule that we have, and so when that gets altered, we really don't we don't have science to back that up i mean because the uh, when there is a new immunization introduced it's compared to make sure it's safe and the immunogenicity is is um going to work for for the com- combination of those and so on the other side we want to make sure it's it's safe and so when you alter that the science just isn't there to back it up all right another reason why you should talk to your doctor about it and make sure that everybody feels comfortable with what's being recommended. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Engineer David Chong, executive producer Beth Ann Koslovich. See you next week.